Okay, please turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11 to 21. And please follow along as I read from the English Standard Version. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God, sorry, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of God. Good morning, everyone. Uh, as Peter said, um, thanks for coming to church. Um, I know it's very difficult for all of us to get here. Uh, you know, when it's normal weather, and yet uh, even with this wild weather that we're experiencing, uh, we really do appreciate you joining us here, and also to those who are uh, joining us online. It's good to have you uh, tune in with us. Uh, we're taking a break from the Gospel of Mark, um, and uh, from next week, we are going to go through uh, topics uh, that uh, relate to the Easter um, celebration, uh, which will be in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, but for today, um, it's uh, going to be a standalone uh, sermon that I think is very important and very relevant, especially uh, um, because we have Easter coming up in the next couple of weeks. So um, we're going to talk about evangelism. Uh, so before I begin, let's start always with a word of prayer. So let's pray together. Gracious Father, we gather together this morning uh, through uh, difficulties and challenges uh, because we all know what is most important for us, and it is you. You deserve the glory and the praise and the honor, and we wish and desire to learn from you and be transformed by your Spirit in our Lord Jesus so as your word is preached, I pray that you might give my brothers and sisters here attentive minds, but also open hearts, so that they might hear the word and be transformed. Father, we desire no less than to be uh, more like Christ, just as we have sung. So Father, I pray that you might grant us this as your word is preached. 
Through Christ and for his sake I pray. Amen. All right, let me start by uh, asking uh, just the Christians in the room uh, two questions. And some audience participation will be much appreciated. So uh, could I uh, get a show of hands? Do you believe in heaven? I think most Christians, if not all of us, will say absolutely. Um, A follow-up question to that would be, uh, do you believe in hell? I don't know if you know this uh, gentleman. His name is uh, Penn Gillette. Um, He is an influential atheist commentator and a magician. So magician, atheist, apparently they go well together. Um, His name is Penn Gillette. Like I said, he's not a Christian and he is an avowed uh, critic of uh, particularly evangelical Christianity. In other words, uh, Bible-believing Christianity. Um, And he makes an observation uh, of what he thinks is the typical evangelical Christian today. And his words are, are quite stinging. He says, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't evangelize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there is a heaven and a hell, that's us, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think that it's not really worth telling them because it would make it socially awkward, How much do you have to hate somebody to not evangelize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond the shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that truck was bearing down on you, well, there is a certain point where I just tackle you. And this is more important than that. Harsh words, and I do apologize that we are starting this time with a little bit of a hard hitter, but uh, Mr. Gillette does raise an important problem. Uh, If we are Christians that believe in the reality of heaven and hell, then why is it that so often we aren't particularly bothered that so many of our friends don't believe in Jesus? Or worse yet, you might be sitting there thinking, why am I not bothered that I am not bothered? I imagine that uh, we would disagree with Mr. Gillette when he says, uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not evangelize? Well, we can respond by saying, we don't hate our friends. We do care about them. We do love them. But if we're honest, he's also right. We don't tell them about Jesus. So how do we fix this? Can God give us some motivation? That's what we're going to try and do today, to listen in and see if God can compel us to uh, compel others. And we'll get this lesson from the Apostle Paul. Um, I believe that other than perhaps Jesus, um, the Apostle Paul is probably the best evangelist that we read about in the Bible. And in our passage, Paul gives us a glimpse of what kept him going for all those years in his evangelistic work. What motivated this man to keep preaching Jesus despite the opposition, despite the difficulty, despite uh, the consequences? Can we be better at evangelism? 
Kingsway, can we do better at telling our friends about Jesus? I'm convinced that we can. And Paul teaches us by giving us three forms of motivation that keeps us going, and I hope that it will keep you going also. So let's jump right into it. We'll pick it up in verse 11. Paul says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Is fear a motivation for evangelism? It's probably one that you might not have expected. But here, Paul seems to think so. I think that in modern-day Christian practice and Christian culture, um, we have rightly emphasized, and to a general point, I think healthily emphasized, uh, the love of God, the, the grace of God, the kindness of God. And these are all attributes of God that we need to keep reminding ourselves of 100%. But I think that often we, we, we largely avoid talking about the fear of God and its role in our faith. We think of fear, and then we think negative. And to be fair, it is quite negative in our uh, society and in our uh, vocabulary and our vernacular. But, but the Bible is full of commands to love God, yes, but to fear God as well. It's interesting to note that in Deuteronomy, and this is the same uh, context uh, where Moses tells the Israelites to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul. We all know that uh, passage. But in the same context, he says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? And later on in uh, wisdom, in the wisdom uh, books, uh, in the Bible, the uh, author of Proverbs says, hey, you know how you get wise? You know how you get good at being not only smart, but being wise? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And these are just two examples in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament also, and throughout all of Scripture, it's littered with commands for people who follow God to fear Him. And yes, our God is a loving Father who gives us life, and praise be to His name that He does that. But remember also that He is a consuming fire, the one who brought down the ten plagues on Egypt, the one who judged his people when they disobeyed him generation after generation. He is the one who created all of us and rules over us. Now, I don't have time to uh, jump into just a word study of what fear means in the Bible. Uh, maybe we'll leave that for our next uh, talk. But I do have to mention that the fear of the Lord is not necessarily, almost always, uh, it's not necessarily treated in isolation, but almost always talked about in contrast to another type of fear. And I think that will uh, give us a little bit of a hint as to what this means, to fear the Lord, and therefore we tell others about Jesus. And what is it? The fear of man. So let's read on in uh, verse 11, following on. 
But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we, that is Paul and his uh, buddies for evangelism, if we are beside ourselves, that is being known as crazy, it is for God If we are in our right mind, it is for you. So let me just unpack that a little bit. So Paul's ministry faced many challenges. Uh, One main thing that we know of being a a huge roadblock in his evangelism efforts was that there were uh, non-Christian, pagan, uh, semi-Christian, Jewish uh, teachers that were competing against him in the church. The church in Corinth were inviting these so-called guest speakers sharing the pulpit and teaching heresy, teaching Roman philosophy, teaching uh, what we would regard as unchristian ideas. And uh, they would actually uh, hear about the message that Paul was teaching, and then they would mock him. They would call him names. They would accuse him of being stupid, of being narrow-minded. And in verse 13, we read about, they were also accusing him of being a little bit nuts, a little bit crazy, a little bit beside themselves. Now, this is quite relevant for what we might face when we tell others about Jesus, is it not? I don't know about you, but I have the respect of my non-Christian friends, and even that, when I tell them about Jesus, they think I'm a little bit nuts. They think, how can someone who's been educated here in Australia, like you, Daniel, believe in this nonsense. We are also at threat of being accused of of, of being stupid and narrow-minded, even a bit crazy. And at that moment, in that sort of uh, circumstance, how tempting it is for us uh, to cave into the fear that we might be called these things for speaking about Jesus. I think even more so in 2021, for Christians, the fear of man is an ever-present danger. How we might be perceived at at work, how we might be perceived to our neighbors, to be looked upon as arrogant, ignorant, intolerant, and then the B word, bigoted, simply for sharing about the life-changing message of Jesus. Well, this passage actually gives us a way to fight this kind of fear. And that's why Paul says, knowing the fear of the Lord, because we fight the fear of man with the fear of God. It is true, brothers and sisters, that when we speak about Jesus, I'm not going to sugarcoat any of this, Uh, if we are true about what we say and tell our non-believing friends when it comes to what the Scriptures say, there is a real chance that some of our friends might judge us for being unloving, even though the enormous irony is we're doing it because we love them. There is a real chance, maybe not now, but I think, yeah, I think pretty sure in the future, in the near future, our our livelihoods might even be threatened. Even now, our reputations are threatened. Our social capital decreases when people realize that we are not only Christians, but, you know, that Bible-believing type of Christian. 
I believe that the, uh, these kind of fears are going to be challenges for us. We need to acknowledge that, that when we share Jesus, these are the challenges that face us. And yet, the Bible encourages us and pushes us to remember that there is a greater fear that should override any of this kind of fear, any fear of man. You know, Jesus talked about this when he sent out uh, his disciples on their first uh, mission trip, short-term mission trip. And Jesus warned them, hey, guys, I'll be honest with you. And this is not, this is not Jesus, but this is me paraphrasing. I'll be honest with you. I'll level with you. When you go out there, people are going to say you suck. People are going to say you're pretty dumb. People are going to legally prosecute you and maybe even throw you into jail. You might even lose your life. That's what Jesus says. And then after saying that, he goes on in verse uh, 26. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say it in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And I love this. Verse 28. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, there's a lot to say with these verses, but let me just say one thing that we learn from this. We learn that you will ultimately obey that which you fear the most. Let me say it again. You will ultimately obey that which you fear the most. You see, fear in the Bible... Not always, but is often linked with the desire for ultimate approval. Why do we tend to fear judgment from our non-Christian friends? Well, because we want their approval. We want to be one of the boys or one of the girls or one of the group. Why do we fear losing our reputation? Well, because we, to be honest, we want the approval of this world. But as Christians who say we believe in Jesus, our ultimate approval should come from God alone. I mean, we know this, right? Don't we want our ultimate approval from God, not of people? Isn't our reputation in the eyes of God more important than, than the temporary approval of people? You see... It's a good thing in this uh, topic to uh, kind of encourage us here that, that talking about Jesus is not easy. It's never going to be easy. There will always be a risk of offending people. Even though our intentions might not be to offend them, but to, to show them the love and life of Christ. I mean, it will ruffle feathers in the workplace and in our neighborhoods. It will make us somewhat uncomfortable and challenge us and push us in a direction where we don't want to go necessarily. And in that moment, we are offered a choice. Fear of man or fear of God? Which approval do you want? You see, the fear of God overrides the fear of man. That is a wonderful thing. If you struggle with the fear of man in your life, brother or sister, 
Study the fear of God. If we are going to be better at, at sharing Jesus to the world, I think we need to start to reclaim what it means to fear the Lord. To not just cherry pick uh, parts of scripture and say, love the Lord, love the Lord, and, and ignore the uncomfortable fear the Lord commands. We need to dive into that, into the deep end, so to speak, and, and really figure out what that means and what that looks like in our lives. But if I can uh, finish but, uh, with this point by saying, don't be afraid of what the world can do to you. I mean, there are people, brothers and sisters of our faith that live in parts of the world where they are literally threatened with death. What are we threatened with? But rather, fear the one who can destroy both soul and body. God's opinion of us matters a hell of a lot more than what this world thinks of us. Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But as Christians, we aren't only and we shouldn't be only driven to evangelism, driven to sharing about Jesus because of a fear of God. I think that can result in somewhat unhealthy conversations. Uh, we don't talk about Jesus because we are only concerned about what God thinks and not about the world as a whole. I think that's a, a misstep. Because Paul goes on in verse 14, let's pick it up, and he says, For the love of Christ controls us. Now let me make a, a small comment. Um, the love of Christ controls us. That, that, that is from the English Standard Version. Um, rather than the word control, um, I, I, I prefer the word compel, uh, which the Christian Standard Bible uses. Uh, not because I'm a fan of the Christian Standard Bible, and I am, but, but the, the, the word compel, I think, preserves the meaning of the original language so much better because control kind of uh, uh, implies a passive uh, thing, doesn't it? Like you're controlled by something. You have no choice in the matter. Whereas compelled is, is more to do with a, a strong motivational push. We do have, uh, we do have a, a choice in the matter, but we are pushed and, 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 and guided uh, in a particular direction. That's what compelled means. And I, and I, I think that's what the word uh, means, but, but enough of a, uh, the word study. Uh, but what I'm saying is that, that Paul is um, basically uh, saying that the love of Christ is pushing moving and, and directing him to share the gospel. So here's motivation number two, uh, the love of Christ. And, and let's pick it up again in verse 14, halfway through it. Uh, he says, uh, Paul says, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all. That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. In other words, when Christ died on the cross, he didn't just die for you. Of course he did. But he died for the whole world. His life is offered not just to some select people who grew up in church, but for every person. Where do I get this? Well, he says, therefore all have died. What does Paul mean by that? We're obviously all living right now. What does he mean by that? He's talking about death in our sin. He's saying everyone 
who lives at the moment is dead in their sin and Jesus came to die for the sinner. If everyone's a sinner, then logically we can put the two into it together, which means Jesus died for all people. The reason that Christ died, the reason behind the gospel message, there is substance behind it, brothers and sisters. It is because Christ loves the world. No matter what kind of people might be in that world, Christ loves them. Think of a person, you may or may not know, but if you do, think of the person in your life that is so far away from church, so far away from Christ, who gives you a tough time at work. I I have one as well. That you cannot imagine them coming to Jesus. Jesus loves them too. Without exception, Christ loves them. It is this love that should compel us to tell them about Jesus. Christians do not engage in evangelism because we want to show people that we're right and they're wrong. We shouldn't get flared up and argue and debate with non-Christians because we want to win win an argument It's to communicate to them that Jesus died because he loves them. His life is offered to them, same way it was offered to you. And if Jesus truly, genuinely loves our friends who are yet to believe in him, shouldn't we be all the more motivated to tell them? I mean, If the outright fear of them criticizing or mocking you isn't stopping us, I I fear that a a kind of uh, unhealthy contentment can settle in to especially those of us who have been Christian uh, for a while now. You know, initially we became a Christian and we were a little bit ashamed to say that we believe in Jesus, but then we had our so-called coming out moment, uh, that's what they call it these days, right? Um, and, and you told people that you're a Christian and it was a bit awkward at times, but then now they know that you go to church, that you do, you know, Wednesday night small groups or whatever it might be, and, and uh, a couple of these later, you, they know you're a Christian girl, a Christian guy, and that's it. That's where you stayed. I, I, think, I think as Christians... We can be in either one of three uh, uh, mindsets when we uh, go out into the world, so to speak. Number one, uh, we might be uh, ashamed of our faith, and, and that's okay. Uh, I mean, it's not okay, but, but it, it, we can kind of develop ourselves uh, out of that, uh, to be bold in our faith and to say that, yes, I believe in Jesus. You could be in that kind of sphere where you're still a little bit uh, uncomfortable about saying that you're a Christian and you believe in the Bible and so on, and that's Okay. And, and you could be in another area where you're, you're just on fire for Jesus. You're known as that guy who has uh, a passion about Jesus. And, and if you ask him questions, he might not know all the answers, but he will engage you. He will say he's praying for you. He might make everyone in the office maybe feel a little bit uncomfortable because you pray for them. Uh, whatever it might be, you might be that guy. Or I think most of us fall into the third category, which is peaceful coexistence. What do I mean by that? I mean, I'm a Christian, there's a Muslim, there's an atheist, there's a, I don't know what he or she believes in, but they know where I stand, I know where they stand, and I'm okay with that. Doesn't that describe so many of us? 
I know that describes me so often a lot when I work. But if Jesus loves our friend, how could we just stand idly by on the sidelines and not tell them about it? If you know that this love that Christ has for you is also the love with which Christ loves them and they don't know, why are we not itching to offer it to them? Paul continues and says in verse 15, And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, this is key, we regard no one according to the flesh. So we know that Christ loves our non-believing friends very much. Do you love them too? I think that's a simple question. Of course we'll say yes to that. Of course we say we love our friends. And if we do, how could we not tell them about Jesus? You see, as Christians, we, like Paul, know that those who put their trust and faith in Jesus are freed from the uh, curse and sin and the, um, the, the insurmountable weight of living for yourself. And we are freed to live for Jesus. We know what that looks like. We know what that feels like. We know that is the most satisfying and joyful way to live this life. Then how come we are so content with being tight-lipped and simply coexisting with them? You know, Paul says that because of this amazing love that Christ has for the world, he doesn't regard anyone according to the flesh. That's verse 16. What does that mean? It just means according to what he sees, according to the physical life that people around him live. So, so put it another way, he sees them not as people, but as souls needing redemption. He doesn't see them as Bob. He sees them as an image bearer created by God for a purpose to be reconciled with his creator. You see, we have said in our minds that we love our friends, correct? Then do we consider these friends whom we love very much as merely people or, or as souls? Do we regard them so often according to just the flesh, just what we see, or as individuals who have hearts that will always be restless until it's, it finds its rest in God? We know that Christ does that for them. The love of Christ that Christ has for them and the love of Christ that we feel towards them, this should be and ought to be a great motivator for us. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You see, friends, the message of Jesus is that everyone who lives is dead in their sin. And that's the bad news. But the good news is so much better because it means that whoever you might be, wherever you might stand, Whatever life you might have lived in Christ, you can be made alive again. 
I mean, that is the good news. And the fact that so many of us aren't talking about it to our friends regularly is either, I'm sorry to say, maybe we don't really believe that this is true. Maybe we don't really believe that Jesus offers new life to all who believe in him. Or, and I hope this is everyone here, or we might have simply uh, forgotten. Because Christians can do that. We might forget. We might have forgotten this good news. We might have forgotten, yeah, Jesus does love my mate. He does love my family member. He does love my parents. He does love my grandparents who don't know him. Then let me remind you again, Jesus deeply loves whoever it is in your life that doesn't yet believe. And if you love them too, and I'm sure you do, there is nothing, there is nothing more important in your friendship than working to help them believe in Jesus. The final uh, motivation will be a short one, but no less important. Let's look at uh, verse 18. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the message of reconciliation. What did he do? He gave us the message of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to who? To us, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through who? Us. Why did God save you? probably more of a philosophical question you could probably answer in many, many different ways. How would you answer that? Uh, let me give a, a one biblical answer. One reason why God saved you, one reason why God reconciled you to himself is so that you can help others be reconciled to God. Telling others about Jesus in other words, it's not just an option for some Christians. It is the duty of all Christians. As much as treating patients is for doctors, or teaching students is for teachers, or whatever it is that you, you occupy in terms of your occupation, what do you do? That a Christian's job given by God himself is to tell others about Jesus. That is your job requirement, brother or sister. How does this play itself out? Well, you are in your job. You are living in your postcode. You are sending your kids to that public, private, or Christian school because God has placed you there to tell others about Jesus. It is no accident that God has put you wherever you might be. In that space, he's entrusted to you this important message of reconciliation. You are the ambassador that the kingdom of God has sent into that space. You know, how can your friends really know about the love God has towards them? You tell them about it. 
How can your friends learn about the life that Jesus offers them? What will you tell them about it? You see, if I could just add, I think, and this is, this is a, a, a positive thing, and I commend everyone for it, I think we are pretty good at knowing what it looks like to live as Christians in this non-Christian world. And that takes effort. And praise God for that. We know how to kind of, you know, navigate the complex spaces of this culture. We know how to love. We know how to uh, forgive. We know how to do all these things. We know how to operate out of uh, Christ-like kindness and so on and so forth. And keep doing that, guys. But the ministry of reconciliation that God has entrusted you with does not stop at being merely a Christian in the workplace. It's to tell them about what God has done to reconcile them to himself. It is eventually, and I'm not advocating that we somehow set, you know, set up like a milk crate at the corner of your office and then say, you know, repent for Jesus is coming. That's not what I'm saying. But, but I think it is to eventually, with wisdom, at the right time, with love, with care, tell them about Jesus. Help them place their trust in him. It's your job. It's your duty. Tell them. We, you know, we deliver the message. And yes, we, we do it out of uh, wisdom and love, and, and we've got to be careful about how we say the things that we say. Yes, absolutely. But at the end of the day, you don't save them. God saves them. God gives them the gift of faith. It is your job to tell them that Jesus saves. That's it. You know, our friends are not going to magically believe in Jesus because we live like Jesus in the workplace. They might ask us questions, but when they do, are you going to grasp that opportunity and say, hey, do you want to have a beer after work and talk about Jesus? God has placed you in wherever space you occupy right now to be, in a sense, yes, that guy who talks about Jesus. You know, I think Pastor Paul said this so often, but, but Jesus, in the book of Mark, didn't just heal people. He, he didn't just cast out demons, which is pretty awesome, but he taught people, and he called them to repentance. He called them to believe in him. The ministry of reconciliation that we have today is no different. You know, heaven and hell are at stake. That's why I began with this these two questions, because if we keep our mouths shut and we never tell them about Jesus and we become really, really good at living like a Christian and yet never talk about Jesus, you know, the thought of what might happen to them terrifies me. Imagine right now your closest friend that is not a Christian. Got it? Now imagine that that person dies. Where is he or she? They'll be standing before God and they will hear the most chilling words from the Lord Jesus. I never knew you. And if we didn't speak up and tell them about Jesus, if we didn't tell them that they need to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus, 
This is what they would say. But Jesus, I never knew you. I never knew that I was meant to believe in you. If I knew that, I I would have simply... Oh, I have a friend. He was a Christian. She was a Christian. I lived amongst them. He or she hung out with me all the time. We worked together. I asked him questions about Christianity. He never told me that. Why didn't he tell me that? Why did he keep this good news to himself? If only he told me. You know, if no one tells our friends about Jesus, these will be their words. If we believe the reality of heaven and hell. If you don't, all right, radio. But if you do, you know, as I prepped this sermon, it was really interesting. Yesterday I was at work with uh, one of my mates, and he's a avowed atheist, you know, the Richard Dawkins kind. Um, and he goes up to me and goes, hey, Daniel, you know what would be amazing if I die and your God is real and I can actually say to him, oh, Daniel was right. He told me about you. And that actually kind of encouraged me because, I mean, he gives me a rough time at work, honestly, but, but he, he just, I, I love talking to him because he asks me questions about, you know, if there's a good God, why does evil happen in the world? Like that kind of like crazy questions that you need like three-hour lectures to explain. I'm happy to talk about that because it's, hey, if, if, if he believes in Jesus because of what I told him, it's all worth it. Uh, uh, let me tell you, are you doing that with your friends? You know, there's still time. They're still alive. They still go to work with you. They still live in the next house. They still have you. So go tell them. Be wise, yes. Be patient, yes. And, and be driven by, you know, the fear of God and the love of Christ. But, but please tell them. Implore with them on behalf of Christ, as we read in the Scriptures, and tell them, be reconciled to God. Tell them what Christ has done. Tell them that for our sake God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Jesus we who believe might become the righteousness of God. This is what we need to tell them. So tell them. You see, on the one hand, I I totally understand that uh, some of us might be a little bit passive when it comes to evangelism. I understand. It's hard. It's getting harder and harder in our culture. It's getting harder and harder to hold to biblical morals. It's even getting harder to suggest that Jesus is the only way. Because there's so many different so-called ways out there, isn't there? We, we live in such a uh, so-called pluralistic society where there's many ways to live, and people who don't believe in Jesus seem to be just, I mean, to be frank, quite happy. It's difficult for us to step into that and say Jesus is the way to life. It, it requires, I think, uh, a whole lot more patience a whole lot more wisdom, a whole lot more uh, good old-fashioned tact to, to live and, and yeah, just to live as Christians in this day and age. Sharing Jesus to the world today is difficult, and I acknowledge that it is a complex task. 
And I think part of the reason why we aren't so good at this is because, like me, we know this. It's a tough gig. But let me finish with saying that, on the other hand, I think that's why Paul's example is so good, because I wonder if Paul's context was any better than ours. Well, if you read the New Testament, you will find that it was actually quite worse. You know, Paul's preaching didn't end up with him not being invited to your work Christmas party, but he lost his reputation, he was jailed, he eventually lost his life. You know, Paul was the most savvy evangelist that we could ever think of because he was the one who said, hey, to the Jews, I'm like the Jews. Uh, to the Gentiles, I'm like the Gentiles. He, he was a, a master at, at cultural navigation, so to speak. He was all things to all people for the sake of Christ. His evangelism wasn't driven because he hated people, but he fiercely loved them. It was Paul who said, hey, guys, if it is at all possible, if it is within your power, live at peace with everyone. And it is the same Apostle Paul who said these things that says the things that we read about today. He says that we shouldn't let the fear of man silence us, but let the fear of God give us a voice to speak. That we shouldn't be pushed and compelled by anything else but the love of Christ and the love that we have for them. And that it is through people like Paul, like you, like me, like us, that God saves people in Christ. If only we would just open our mouths and tell them about it. Paul's situation was worse than ours. He was the best evangelist. He was the best cultural navigator. He was the one who commanded all these things. And even he faced struggle, persecution, and difficulty. So brothers and sisters, be encouraged by what Paul says here. Let's get back into the fight. The fight is waging out there. Let's get out there and tell the world about Jesus. You know, the war has been, in a sense, won. And we'll learn a little bit about that during Easter. But the war has been won. The decisive blow has been struck. The enemy is defeated. Jesus Christ reigns. Now as his people, as ambassadors for Christ, we need to get out there and tell people that they can join in. So, Easter service is coming up. That's one way to uh, apply the sermon. Have that conversation with your work colleague or with your neighbor or with maybe a mate who used to go to church and uh, doesn't uh, go anymore. Tell them, hey, what are you doing in two weekends? Is it two weekends? Yeah, two weekends. Come to church. Invite them. Get them started on their journey of faith or restart it. But let me just remind everyone that the goal is not to get them to Kingsway. Please do not mishear me. The goal is not to get them to church and leaving the covenant members of Kingsway to do their thing. No, remember what I said. If you are a Christian, you have been placed in wherever space you are in so that you can tell them about Jesus. You see, for example, my atheist friend, he'll never come to church, but he's willing to have a conversation about Jesus after work. Maybe that's you. Sit down with them and ask them, hey, do you want to read the Bible together? Do you want to read a book together? 
The ball's in your court. Whatever it might look like for you, do it. Just tell them about Jesus. Don't be comfortable peacefully coexisting with non-believers. That's not our job. Jesus didn't come to peacefully coexist with people who didn't believe in him. He came to ruffle some feathers. He came to divide, in a sense. He came so that ultimately sinners might have life. So do the work of an evangelist. Tell them about what Jesus has done for them. Let me pray. Gracious Father, we give you thanks for this amazing message that Christ, that through Christ, we are reconciled to you. That those who are dead to sin might come alive in Christ. That by faith alone we are saved, by grace alone, in Christ alone. And this message is far too precious for us to keep within these church walls. Help us to be ambassadors for Christ, to get out there and tell the world that Jesus lives and that they can live through him too. Why don't we spend this time just uh, laying aside the fear of man or laying down rather the fear of man and any other barriers you might think that you have in telling your mates about Jesus. There is nothing more important in a sense than doing that. And we know that deep in our hearts, don't we? We know that. So let's live it out. Kingsway, let's live it out. Let's go and tell our work colleagues, our neighbors, our friends, our family members, all who do not believe and yet are in our space and sphere of influence that Jesus loves them and has paid the price for them. So why don't we spend maybe a minute or two just uh, doing business with the Lord and asking Him for strength and courage, boldness to, to tell them what they really need to hear, inviting them to Easter, but that it might not stop there, that we might commit to walking alongside them, helping them understand the immense love that Christ has for them. Remember, if you don't tell them, who else will? So let's tell them. I invite you to pray.